Hopefully you do have a Bible with you and you can turn with me to Philippians. Philippians, I'm going to be reading two passages. And kids, listen, I'm going to read these two passages, since most of you guys are sitting over here, a few over there. And I want you to be listening as I read these two verses, really, for what the theme is. What are the words using? What's, what is he talking about? So just words, thoughts, and be ready to tell me some of the things that he's talking about. So Philippians, first of all, chapter 1, verse 27, then chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And then chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What are the themes? What are they talking about? Stand firm. Someone got the one I wanted them to get right off. So there's also the Gospel there. There's, there's unity, standing in one spirit, but stand firm. Now, all weekend long, we've been talking about standing firm. What does it mean to stand firm? Well, I guess we ought to talk about that then. I really like the picture that we see here in chapter 1, verse 27, where he pictures it where we're like soldiers on a battlefield, standing side by side. we got our boots on. Our shields are up. We're, we're digging in together against the enemy and we're not going to give him even one inch. We're going to stand firm. But the question is, what are we going to stand firm in? What are we standing firm in? Tell me, what are we standing firm in? Jesus. Jesus. What else? The Lord. Same thing, kind of. What else? This is participatory. How about that? The promises of God, the Word of God, the Gospel, all of these things. But notice how he says it here. He says, stand firm in the way you live your life. Stand firm in a life worthy of the Gospel. Now what do you think that means? To live worthy of the Gospel. First of all, what is the Gospel? Surely we know that one, right? Uh, it's the What is the Gospel? The good news of what? Yeah. You bet. Jesus came to die for sinners to bring us into salvation so that by grace through faith alone, when you trust in Jesus, you become His new creature. He forgives you all of your sin and He gives you a new life. And now what Paul is saying here is, it is time to live that life. Again, chapter 1, verse 27, let your manner of life, the way you live your life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I see that you are standing firm together in one spirit. So to live a life worthy of the gospel means you live the kind of life that flows out of the gospel, the life Christ saved you to have. Uh, that you keep striving by grace uh, to, to live a life that is pleasing to Him because that's what the Gospel does. Uh, the Gospel has made you a soldier in His army. Or, get this, 
it has made you a citizen in His kingdom. In fact, look at those words, your manner of life. And remember, the New Testament was originally written in a different language. It was originally written in the Greek language. And the Greek word for this manner of life thing is the word polytuma. Or polit, see that polit, like politic? Polytuma, which literally means to live as a citizen. To live as if you belong to a certain place. And in this case, it means to live like you belong to the kingdom of God. Because a little later, we're going to see, he's going to say, our citizenship is indeed in heaven. And so if you're a Christian, that's who you are. So, so how do you think that someone who belongs to Christ's heavenly kingdom ought to live while they're here upon the earth? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 27 when he says, Stand firm in this. Live as heavenly citizens. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1, and, and see what it means to stand firm as citizens of Christ's heavenly kingdom. The first thing I want you to see is that we are to stand firm in living this new life that Christ has given us. Let me read chapter 3, verse 16, down to chapter 4, verse 1. It all goes together. He says, verse 16, "...only let us hold true to what we have attained." Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Notice, first of all, the great love behind this command to stand firm. Stand firm, Paul says. It's a command. Stand firm. But do you think as Paul writes that, he's angry at them? Hey guys over there, stand firm. Firm up. Come on. Get with it. Is that, is that what he's doing? You know, sometimes, especially as kids, when, when somebody really gets on you about something, when they're exhorting you to do what's right, it's easy to think that they're just being mean, that they're trying to spoil your fun. But look how Paul loves these people. He just piles up word after word after word to tell them how much he loves them. My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, my beloved, he says. He's not being mean. He's pouring out his love on them. And it is his love for them that moves him to exhort him like this. And kids, your parents do the same thing. Sometimes your pastors do. And your Sunday school teachers do it. Because we love you, we try to exhort you to do what is right and good. Not because we're out to spoil your fun, but because we really do want what is best for you. And we know that what is best for you will only come in learning to stand firm in Christ by faith. Right, parents? Feedback, please. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what you want for them? 
isn't this why you try so hard to instruct them and, and even to discipline them? You're really not trying to make life hard on them or steal away their fun. You do want the things that are best for them. And you know, oh, you know at the core of your heart that what is best for them is to learn how to walk with Christ as citizens of heaven and stand firm in His truth. And oh, by the way, parents, young adults, youth, this is what the Lord wants for you as well. Right? That's why He says, second of all, Oh, my beloved, stand firm in this. Stand firm in it. Don't be moved an inch from it. Don't compromise it away. Don't, don't try to blend in with the world around you that's not following Christ. Stand firm in Him. So what does stand firm mean again? You stand and don't move. I think that's what he said, right? Uh, it, it, it means take your stand where you are and keep standing there. Dig your feet in like a soldier who refuses to be moved. His commander said, hold this position at all costs. And he's determined to do it. As Jason reminded us, you don't drop your sword. That's the kind of determination that we must have as Christians to be faithful to Christ, to take our stand and to keep on standing in His truth. As Winston Churchill said, and he was the Prime Minister of England when Hitler was trying to pretty much destroy all of Europe, and Winston Churchill said, never give in. Never give in. Never give up. Never, 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 never. That's actually one of the great speeches of history. Go listen to it. Okay, so how do we do this? Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Stand firm thus in the Lord. Notice that word thus. Some of your translations will say, Stand firm in this way. In what way? Well, in the way he's just been showing them in chapter 3, verse 16, down to verse 21. So look what he says in verse 16 to 18. He says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating Me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have from us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Second thing to see tonight is this, that we stand firm as citizen soldiers by watching the example of other faithful soldiers who are standing firm in Christ and refusing to follow the enemy who stands against Him. Remember again, we are soldiers standing side by side. We're in this fight together. And so verse 16 says, Only let us hold true to what we have achieved. Don't lose any ground. Don't fall back an inch. Some of your translations will say, Let us keep living by the same standard of righteousness we have attained. Don't go backwards. Let's keep to this path that we're on, the one that He's laid out for us in His Word. Let's make sure that not one of us gets off track and wanders off over there into the woods where the enemy is waiting to ambush us. We've all heard the stories, I'm sure, of of some little child who wanders off into the woods and gets lost. Or... My daughter Kim likes to listen to this podcast of you know a group of hikers uh, gets lost in some place in Colorado or Arizona you know and something terrible happens to them and sadly that's how many of these stories end isn't it when someone gets off track and and goes astray it ends with serious injury or, or even death 
Especially in a situation where there are enemies around. And so you get off on your own without a, without a guide, without a map. You can die pretty quickly. Now we have a map. What is it? Yeah, we've got the Word. And we have a guide, don't we? Who is He? The Holy Spirit. And He's a good guide. Uh, John 16.13 says He will guide us into all truth. But there is something more that we need. Uh, all of us do, but especially you who are younger in the faith. Something we need beyond the map and the guide. What is it? We need others standing with us as living, breathing examples of what faithfulness to Christ looks like. You know, you, you can learn a lot of stuff by reading a book and trying to figure out the instructions for yourself, can't you? But you can learn a lot more and learn it a lot more quickly if someone stands there and shows you how to do it. Uh, working on a car. Uh, years ago, I, I, bought, I bought a book on how to work on a particular car we owned. And I was going to do a lot of the work myself. And I'd open that thing up. I'd read the instructions. And, and instruction one on one project said, drop the transaxles. I'm done. You know, I, 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 I tried. I couldn't do it. Give old Kurt Bame a call. Kurt shows up and man, it's done and lickety split. And he shows me how. Or uh, baking a meal, cooking a good meal. Uh, many of you, uh, you can maybe read a cookbook, but how much better is it when mom or dad or whoever is a good cook in your family kind of walks you through it and says, "This is how you do it. This is this is how you you work the dough. This is how you make this happen." You can learn much more quickly that way. Or, or here's an example. You know, trying to tie a complex knot. Have you ever had one of those books that you open and it shows you, you know, all this stuff you should do to tie this knot and this arrow goes this way and this arrow goes that way and you know, you're, I'm supposed to do all this stuff and how do you do it? And well, it's one thing to try to figure that out. And most of the time I just get lost. How much easier is it when someone who really knows about knots, like Don Farrell, uh, that would be Olivia's grandfather. If you don't know, he's like Mr. Don Knotts himself. I mean, this guy, he, he, he knows all these complex knots. And, and, and one time we even had him do a demonstration down here. And, and he'll just walk you through step by step. And when you watch him, it makes sense. You can see how it works. Christianity, in many cases, is very much like that. We need someone who can show us how the pieces fit, who can show us how it works. We need, and this is the next point, we need to find and follow good and godly examples of Christ-like living and follow them as they follow Christ. Fellow soldiers who are standing already firm against the devil, who know how to do that, they've been in the battles before, and we can learn from such people. And what Paul is saying here is we've got to realize this is what we need and look for such people in our lives. Um, there are who are the fellow souls who are the fellow soldiers God has put in your life for you to learn from. The men and women who are already standing firm. Notice how Paul indicates that first by pointing to himself in verse seventeen. He says, "Brothers, join." in imitating Me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have seen in us. Paul says, follow My example. Uh, follow the pattern of My life. Mimic Me as I follow Christ and you'll see how you're supposed to do it. Uh, let the pattern of My life be this kind of pattern for you. You ever, you ever kids, traced a pattern 
on a piece of paper. You know, you take the image and you put the paper over it and you trace the lines. And before you're done, you've you've got exactly the same picture. You traced the image, or, or maybe it's, it's it's dotted lines, and you've got a you've got scissors. You cut along the dotted lines, and you're able to get that shape uh, that you were there because you followed the lines. Paul says, "Let my life be that for you. Let my life be the pattern that you follow." Or he says it in First Corinthians eleven one: "Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Come walk with me." As I walk with Christ, parents, older saints, teachers, pastors, even big brothers and big sisters who are here in this room, we need to be able to say this to the little ones who are coming up behind us. We need to be able to say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me if you want to see what living for Jesus looks like. Can you say that? You who are believers and have been walking with Christ for a little bit. Hey, little one, come follow the pattern of my life and I will show you what it means to be a faithful, joyful Christian. Can you say that? Big brother? Big sister? Mom? Dad? Young adult? I mean, younger eyes are watching you. They've been doing it all weekend. and They need to be able to see in us who've walked with Christ a little longer than they have, what it means to be faithful, what it means to stand firm. And then notice what else he says. Speaking to all of us, not just the little ones, in verse 17 he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the pattern we showed you, right? According to the pattern of Scripture. Now what's he saying in that? What he's saying is, all of us need to be on the lookout for godly examples of fellow believers that we can follow. right? Not one of us in this room has arrived yet. Right? Surely you agree with me? Please tell me you do. Right? Because if you've arrived, I'm going to sit down and you're going to finish. Not one of us is as far along in faithfulness as we ought to be. We all need godly examples. And Paul says, when you find them... Keep your eyes on them. Now, it's a really strong word that he uses here. Um, it's the word skopaita. Say that with me. Skopaita. Skopaita. You're speaking Greek now. You sound wonderful. But what is skopaita? Skopaita means scope them out. So we get our word scope. Scope them out. Look for them. Keep your eyes peeled and be looking for godly examples of Christ-like living that you can fall in behind. And when you find them, he says, follow their example. Learn from them what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. Because listen, you are going to follow somebody. In fact, right now you're following lots of people and you may not even be aware of it. You can't help it. It's what we do. We all look around and we're like, monkey see, monkey do. We learn to live by watching how others around us live. And the important thing is to make sure that the ones you're watching, the one that you're keeping your eyes on, are those who are showing you the pattern of what it means to follow Jesus. We all mimic what we see in here. You know what that word mimic means? Right? That's actually the word Paul uses here. Um, the word mimic means to, to follow the pattern, to do what the, you see the other one do. Again, monkey see, monkey do. And, and you know, we do this without even thinking. We, we pick up habits, good or bad, 
from the people around us. Isn't that true? Right? I had a friend who came from a certain people group and you would listen to her pray and she would, in her prayer, she'd kind of make that noise. And I found out in that particular people group there was a famous teacher who had false teeth. And when he prayed, he would suck in his teeth. And that habit of just kind of kind of got caught up in the whole cult because this was a holy and godly man. And they just sort of picked it up. Or maybe another example, several years ago I fell into the habit of listening to John Piper. Now that's not a bad habit, that's a good habit. But I was listening to him regularly on a certain series. And one time Amy said to me, I don't even sure she remembers this, she said, you know, it, it's, it's fine that you like to listen to Piper, but do you have to try to sound like him? I said, what? No. I went back and got a tape of a sermon. That's back when we had tapes. Ask me later, kids, what that is. And, and I put it in, and sure enough, I got to the word glory. You know, we just live for the glory of God. And I thought, oh, that's sad. <laughs> but, but we're all doing that all the time. We pick up on what other people do. What are you picking up on? Make sure you've got your eyes glued on those who are worth picking up on because they're leading you to follow Jesus. Who are you paying attention to? Who are you listening to and reading and looking up to? Who do you, who do you, if you've got Facebook, who are you following on Facebook? You're seeing their feed or Instagram or who, who, who have you, who have you uh, liked on YouTube? Who are your friends? I mean your real friends that you actually spend time with. Who do you look up to and admire? Who, who do you look at and you think to yourself, man, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. That's the person who's going to make a big impact on your life for good or bad. That's the person who is leading you somewhere. Make sure they're leading you to Christ, not away from Him. Make sure they're a fellow soldier standing firm in the truth. You and I need good examples to follow because, listen, there are lots and lots of bad examples to avoid. And that's the next thing. Then make sure, beware of following the examples of those who will lead you away from Christ. Oh, kids, hear this. Paul calls them enemies. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The reason we all need to look for good and godly examples to follow is because there are so very many bad ones. Notice that he says, there are many... There are lots of them. Which is why you've got to be intentional about finding the good ones because there's so many bad ones trying to find you, as Aaron told us. And he calls them enemies. Now why does he say that? Well, he doesn't mean that they're enemies in the sense that they're these horrible people. When you see them, punch them in the face. It's not that kind of enemy. And what he means is, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their way of life runs contrary to Christ. If you go along with them, you'll be moving further and further and further from Christ, ultimately into destruction yourself. 
Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. And here means the man without God. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, destruction. But, but Paul loves these people too much to watch that happen. And so, because he loves them, he warns them in verse 18. For many of whom I've often told you and tell you now, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. With tears, he says. Paul's heart is breaking as he thinks about the destruction that's going to come to some of these friends if they follow these enemies. Paul said, in fact, he says, I've told you and I've told you and I've told you with tears streaming down my face, but you're not listening to me. Kids, some of your parents have done that. They've wept over you. Some of your, your pastors have done this. I've wept many tears over the years as I've watched Satan get a hold of young lives and destroy them. You stand there and there's nothing you can do. You can pray. You can call out to God. You can plead with Him not to let this happen. But you can't stop it. I've sat with parents in my office, eyes red from crying over the life of some child they love with all their heart, but they, but they see them being led astray. Some of you, no doubt, have, have experienced, you've heard your parents pleading for you to consider Christ. They see the danger you're in. You don't see it, but they do see it. And so they've warned you and they've urged you to, to, to flee the danger, to run to Christ before it's too late. To, to avoid that bad influence they see you falling into. To not hang with that friend or that group over there because they, they know where that group is headed. To, to not go with that boy or girl who will drag you down. That they plead with you. Why? Because they love you. Because they can see what you can't see. And I'm saying this now because, because I love you. Don't follow where they lead. You say, well, I need more than a warning. I need reasons. Paul gives four reasons here in verse 19 why you must not follow where they lead. First of all, he says, don't follow them because their path leads to destruction. He says their end is destruction. End, that means that's the final end. That's where they're headed. That's the hell. That's the destruction forever and ever. Jesus warned exactly the same thing, didn't He? Matthew 7, verse 13, He said, enter by the narrow gate, speaking of faith in Him. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. And so you look around, there's lots of people over there on that wide, easy road to hell. I mean, it's popular. Everyone's going there, it looks like, and they're all saying, hey, it's great over here. What are you, what are you, what are you missing? Come on, they say. Come join us. It's, it's fun. You can do whatever you want to do. I mean, look how many of your friends are over here with us and all the really cool people are over here on this road. I mean, it can't be bad if all these people are here. And yet, Jesus says in the end, it plunges to destruction. Don't follow them. Don't follow, second of all, because it says they worship their own bellies. Their God is their belly. Now, it's a funny picture, isn't it? But what does it mean? Their God is their belly. It's a way of saying 
They worship their desires. They live to satisfy their cravings. You know, you get really hungry and you have this craving and you've got to eat. Well, they live to satisfy all the cravings of their life. They say, I want it and I've got to have it. Whatever they think will make them happy, that's what they're going to do. They don't care about God. They don't care about His Word. They don't care about His truth. They just care about living for themselves. Don't follow them. Third, don't follow them, he says, because their glory, they glory in... I almost did the Piper thing, didn't I? They glory in their shame. That means they're proud of the wicked things they do. They boast, they brag about them. They ought to be ashamed. They ought to be embarrassed. But they're not. Because they've come to the place that they love their sin and they want you to love it too. Uh, this word shame used like this often speaks of sexual immorality. That they're doing the kinds of things people ought to be ashamed of, but they're not ashamed. They're proud. So they march and parade and they say, this is freedom. What they can't see is that the course they're on, the course of that parade is leading them to death. Don't follow them. Fourth, don't follow them because their minds are on earthly things. It means locked on the here and now. Their minds aren't on God. Their minds aren't on His Word. They don't care about Him. They don't care about eternity. They don't care about eternal life. The only thing they care about is what's taking place here and now, right under their noses, getting what they want today, doing as I please. And so for them, nothing matters but that. Not God. Not eternity. Not the life to come, not the heaven we sing about, only this life here today. What does Scripture say? Colossians 3 verse 2, Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Not on earthly things. And so as Christians, we had to live in both realities. We live in this world with our eyes fixed on Christ and what is to come. They live in a world empty of Christ and what is to come. Don't follow them. But because this is what we're living for. This is what ultimately matters. So that we might know Christ. We can't live as they do. We can't live as if heaven and earth don't, heaven and hell don't exist, as if God does not matter. We can't follow their pattern because it's not true. Because it's a lie, because it's false. To live in a God-made world as if God does not exist is suicidally stupid. I don't mean intellectually stupid. You can be brilliant intellectually and be locked in that world. I mean spiritually. And so live as God intends. To live as God intends, we've got to have our eyes fixed on Christ and we've got to have the help of others who are walking with us, strengthening us, who our eyes are on. You know, Really, we're talking about Christian fellowship and discipleship here. But then there's the third thing, and this one's fairly short. We must live, then, he tells us, as a people who know we are citizens of heaven while we live in our lives here on earth for His glory. Verse 20 and 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 
So, so notice there's a contrast here, as there often is in Scripture. Their minds are on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. They're locked in what's called this imminent frame. They can only see what's here and now under their noses. We are citizens of the glorious, eternal, universal, boundless kingdom of God. So what does that mean to be a, to be a citizen? What is a citizen? Well, you, you are a citizen of that place where you belong. You are a citizen of your true and permanent home. And as Christians, our true and permanent home is not this earth, but what? Heaven. Heaven in the presence of Christ forever. In fact, that word citizenship, it's actually one we've already looked at tonight, at least a form of it. So, you get two Greek words here. Listen, listen to the Greek here. Polituma. That's citizenship. Polituma. Sound familiar? Because earlier we talked about living as citizens, your manner of life, polituamai, and now we're talking about citizenship, polituma. And so the whole point is, these are basically the same words, meaning we live as citizens of heaven now because we are in fact citizens of heaven forever. We live now as those who are citizens of heaven because, guess what? You are a citizen of heaven if you're in Christ. That's what the Gospel has made of us. We're not trying to become citizens by being good and doing right things and keeping laws. We are living in the way that we're supposed to live and striving to and wanting to and desiring because He's already made us citizens. So the point here isn't straighten up so you can go to heaven. The point is this, Christian, be who you are. Be what He's made you. Live like you're His because guess what? If you're in Christ, you are His. You've got a home that is beyond this world and it's better and brighter and more beautiful than anything you will ever find here on earth. Amen. Warren and Athena just got back from Colorado. Beautiful country. If you didn't delete your account, go on Facebook and look at the pictures they posted. It's gorgeous. And it's nothing compared to what's coming. Something else about this word citizenship that... Oh, i just got to make sure you see. It's pretty cool here in verse 20. The same word, polituma, also means a colony. As in a colony of people who are from somewhere else but now living far away from home. Remember, the American settlers first came from England and they formed the 13 what? Colonies. So that's what we're talking about. Coming, living far from your original home. Far, far from the home that you truly belong to. And so we actually translate this like this. We could say, Paul's saying, you are a colony of heaven living for a time here on earth. Now, for the people who lived in Philippi that Paul is writing this letter to, that would have really made a lot of sense. This would have really had their attention because Philippi itself was in fact a colony of Rome. The people of Philippi weren't from Macedonia where Philippi was now located. The people of Philippi were living far away from their true home, Rome, while they lived there in Macedonia. And so they knew, they knew they didn't actually belong here in Macedonia. This was not their true home. Rome was their true home. And so as a result of that, they didn't live by the customs of Macedonia. They didn't adopt the lifestyle or language or dress of Macedonia. 
They didn't follow Macedonian traditions. Why? Well, because they were Romans living in Macedonia. They were not loyal ultimately to the local Macedonian rulers, though they did try to get along with them and to live in peace with them. But their ultimate allegiance was to Caesar in Rome. He was their king. They were his subjects. Paul now says, that's what it's like for us as Christians now. We are citizens of heaven living here far away from home on earth. And while we're here, he says, we don't live according to the custom and lifestyle of those who, know, who only belong to this world. We live as Christians. While we're here, our ultimate allegiance is not to the rulers of this world, but to Christ. Because He is our King and we are His subjects. Our citizenship is in heaven and we await a Savior from there. Church, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. And it's not Caesar. Though this is funny. That was Caesar's favorite title. You ever read the Bible and wonder, Jesus is not called Savior that often. He is our Savior and His name means Savior, but just that as a title, He's usually called Christ or Lord. Rarely Savior. You know why that is? It's because this word Savior was such a term associated with Caesar that Christians tended to avoid it. But here Paul is writing in uh, in those earlier days. And here Paul is writing to the Philippians for whom Caesar loyalty was a big deal. And he says, no, there's a true Savior. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus. Nor is it the lifestyle lords of this of this culture, the media moguls, the social media giants, the influencers, these are not our Lord. Nor is it our friends and unsaved family. No, no, we have one Lord and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole of our lives must be oriented to Him with joyful and glad obedience. Not giving an inch to this world when it says, come join in our rebellion. Change your views to match ours. Learn to talk and act like we do. Come do the things we do. Come love the things we love. Come join the parade. And we have to respectfully and even lovingly say, No, we cannot. Because we have a Lord who offers us so much more. This is not our true home. That's why Paul ends as he does with chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in this Gospel. Stand firm in the truth of God's Word. Stand firm in the life that flows out of this Gospel. Live it boldly. Live it joyfully. Live it loud so others can see and hear. Keep your eyes on Jesus and follow with those who are faithfully following Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have indeed surrounded us with faithful soldiers from whom we can learn. Help us to have our eyes on them and to walk with them. Lord, not to not to mimic their bad habits because they're sinners, but to mimic them as they follow Christ. Help us, Lord, to see You more clearly. Oh, Father, I plead with You for every... Well, all of us here, but especially for the young people, for the children, for the youth, that as they're charting the course of their life and putting one foot in front of another, Lord, it should, we just have this tendency... 
Our feet tend to follow where our eyes gaze. Oh God, would You give them eyes to gaze upon the truth of Your Word led by the Spirit with good brothers and sisters to follow with. Men and women who love Jesus. Oh Father, give them good and godly friends who will be wise and gracious influences on their lives. And give the same to us and help us march together to stand firm by faith in Your Gospel. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. I just tossed this out. It occurred to me as I was closing in prayer. Now that I'm a grandparent and I pray for my grandchildren daily, you know, parents, you pray, but you do a lot more busy work with, I mean, necessary because you're with your kids every day. And not being with my grandkids every day, one of the things I'm praying, because I have no influence on this for the most part, is for them to have good and godly friends who help them walk with Jesus, not turn, him from, turn them from Him. And if you're not doing that already, I would pray that would be high on your prayer list. That we would all be praying that for the children of this church. And as long as you're doing it, pray for my grandkids. (laughs) That they would have good and godly friends who would help them to walk with Jesus, not lead them away from Him. Amen.